I just got done having a conversation with Packy McCormick. Packy talked to me about decentralization and not decentralization as some crypto term, but decentralization as how it impacts culture, how it's going to change social media, how it could change the way we own and control everything online. He even talked about how it could be the purest form of freedom. This was one of those mind-blowing, mind-expanding conversations that we'd love to have here at Mempool, and I hope you enjoy it. Packy, what's up, man? How are you? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us. So this is Mempool from XMTP Labs. We like to just have conversations that are really uh, kind of in the, the liminal spaces, the side rooms, the back room, where are things going that maybe we can't really see yet. And, you know, the writing that you do is something that I kind of like sit down on Sundays and have to prepare for. I grab a coffee because I know that the research, the thinking, the questions, you kind of hit it from all angles, your ability to ask the questions that um, I think all different types of people and sides are asking is uh, incredible. So I just thank you for all the work you do. And I love the uh, Not Boring newsletter. And you're also doing Not Boring Capital. So thanks for coming to the show today. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. Put a lot of work into these things. Definitely try to look a little bit far into the future. And sometimes it makes me look like uh, look like an idiot. But yeah, I mean, I think the piece we're going to discuss today and just generally try to figure out all these things that are hitting my head, like how they all kind of fit together. All right, let's talk about that. Because the one thing that I wanted to talk about was this piece you wrote back in November about decentralization. And really what caught my eye is that it's not a decentralization piece about crypto per se. It's actually, according to you, more about a broad change in culture. And I just love thinking about decentralization, not as some crypto term, but as a cultural change. So where did that come from for you? What was the aha moment where you decided I need to pull all this together and this is something that like I need to write? I don't think there was one aha moment on all this, right? Like there are just a million different things that I was seeing out there that all felt like they were moving a little bit more decentralized. Obviously spending a lot of time in crypto and thinking about the space, there was a lot of like decentralization as the prime mover. And like, we're doing this because of decentralization. And the more I saw from other industries of looking at the transition from fossil fuels to renewable, for example, the more I saw there, the more I was like, no, it feels like a lot of things are decentralizing and crypto's role might be to be this infrastructure as things decentralize more anyway, but that it's not going to be the driver of the decentralization. And you highlighted like 11 or so areas, I think, and this shift from centralization to decentralization. How did you rank order the areas you focused on? And also, like, how do you talk about to someone, say it's, you know, my mother, how do you talk about the central thesis for what's happening? Oh, that's that's a big one. I, I think I tried to, you know, write a thesis in there. But even as I was writing the thesis, I knew I didn't really capture probably what I was going for exactly well enough. So to the first question, I didn't try to rank order. I mean, I, I think I put energy first because I do think that just is at the core of, of everything, right? Like human history is this, uh, this struggle to either energize our own bodies or energize machines that give superpowers to our bodies or, you know, now be able to do more and more, uh, more and more things with machines through energy. There's this incredible book, uh, where is my flying car that, that Stripe press published. And he has this chart in here that will always stick in my mind. There's these old sci-fi predictions and 
a bunch of them didn't come true. A bunch of them did come true. He put it into essentially two different quadrants, the the four different quadrants. There are things that came true on the bottom, didn't come true on the top. And then there are things that are kind of energy intensive or not energy intensive. And there's this big empty hole in the things that are energy intensive and didn't come true. Um, and so the his point was a lot of the computer stuff that people talked about in sci-fi happen because it's not particularly energy intensive. But as we started consuming less energy per capita, a lot of the things that sci-fi authors predicted, like flying cars, didn't come true because we didn't have the energy resources to make that feasible. Uh, and so that that's just one thing that kind of kind of stuck with me as, as we're thinking through the, the energy transition. But if you think about you know, having solar panels on your roof versus having to plug into the grid. Like it's just a very decentralized thing in and of itself that you can create your own energy or that countries that weren't necessarily oil rich can now produce their own energy by putting solar panels in, in you know, large swaths of desert or whatever. It just feels like this really big decentralizing force that maybe isn't really talked about as a decentralizing force. So I put that one first, but then talked about manufacturing, you know, in a couple of different ways, globalization versus reshoring is a big topic right now. And, and certainly each country producing its own stuff and using robots to do that uh, effectively feels a little bit more decentralized. Uh, Elliot, who, who works with me at Not Boring Capital, talks about the ability to grow things as opposed to kind of making them in the traditional way. That's, you know, a little bit of biotech sci-fi. But if we're heading in that direction, the ability to kind of hit print on anything versus having, you know, a central factory that then goes through Amazon to send you the things is another thing that just feels like it's one other maybe strand in this decentralization, uh, this decentralization narrative science. There's a lot of experiments, Web3 and not in decentralized science and maybe not going through the big research universities, but having uh, these smaller almost startup research facilities that are starting up and, and doing research, you know, hard tech, it's maybe not necessarily the big five defense primes that are selling all the defense hardware at this point. There's some signs that companies like Anderil and other startups are able to sell. So there's just all these different threads. The central thesis is that if you look back through time, like human history can kind of be seen as just this oscillating sine wave, I call it, of decentralization and centralization. Every time we move to a different one, things are a little bit better, right? Like decentralization isn't necessarily good. Centralization isn't necessarily good. Their responses to whatever happened in the previous era and an attempt to do things a little bit better. And it feels like we've kind of reached a bit of a local maximum on the centralization side now. And a lot of things are moving decentralized, but hopefully better. Amazing. It's interesting. I never thought of the solar grid is on my house. It's almost a decentralized version where I'm not having to plug into the central grid. Are there other specific examples like that that are really tangible to people that you might not have called it decentralization, but actually that clicks of, oh, that that makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, for example, we can talk about maybe like Web3 social, for example, here, right? Like there's right now Twitter and Facebook and you go to these big kind of central entities and then there's things like Lens and Farcaster where they're building their own clients, but there's going to be all of these other clients that sit on top of them. I'm picturing these like small apps and wrote about these small apps where 
there's going to, I think, still be these big infrastructure layers. But on top of those, there's just going to be a bunch of different kind of more niche experiments. I think the Internet's probably heading that direction. Hopefully it's Web3, but just this idea of kind of open protocols generally that people can build on top of. If you look at, you know, something even like a a replit, I think, is a move in the direction of decentralization where all of a sudden anybody with a smartphone now is able to code up apps. They can do it with the AI ghostwriter. So just like even who can create apps and then who those people can create apps for, I think, is is decentralizing in a pretty major way. But, yeah, I don't know. Solar is the one that like really hit me over the head when when I thought about it, just because it's not something that you think of that way, whereas maybe the example I just gave would be. Totally. And the decentralized social one, I think for people to understand is that if you used an app, but you didn't like it, you can take your network with you. And I think that's the fundamental shift that changes how you think about if I'm locked into a Twitter or a Facebook or a centralized entity, my identity, my followers, my friends, my content is all locked into that world versus if I don't like an app in a decentralized world, I can just go to a new app and my entire graph content and identity comes with me. Exactly. I mean, I, I think that's that's super powerful, right? And again, I don't think one is bad or good. I think, you know, I use Twitter all of the time, but the other day they just, you know, I, I had gone and done the thing where you can only see the people that you follow and you see them in chronological order just to calm down my feed. And then all of a sudden with the snap of a finger the other day, I'm back in the algorithmic feed and getting recommended tweets that I don't want to see because Twitter made a decision. I don't have a choice to move my followers over to somewhere else or to view, move my experience over to somewhere else that is a little bit calmer or less algorithmically driven or whatever. And I'd love to have that ability to just play with different interfaces. And, you know, change is really hard. And one thing you said, you said it feels like things are fragmenting and splintering directionlessly and pointlessly. You talked about being an optimist. And then you said, again, new technologies shatter old systems, but they help us piece new ones together in previously impossible and superior ways. I was like, that's a that's an incredible statement. And I think I always try to put myself back in being in the rooms in 07 social and not really asking the hard questions about what could go wrong. What if this did connect everyone on earth and what might happen that might not be good? Um, and it feels like there's a moment in time here for decentralization and what you're talking about. Have you thought about what are the unintended consequences? What are the kind of failure of leaders to anticipate negative outcomes, pure greed, corruption, um, et cetera, for what could happen here? It's really hard to tell. And I know that's a cop out because I spent a lot of time imagining the good stuff and that's also yeah. really hard to tell. And I'm sure I get all the specific predictions wrong, even if I get like the general trend kind of right. I think it would have been hard to see the negative consequences that, you know, Facebook would have had back in the very beginning. It was just a really cool thing where you were able to connect with your friends. And like, I, you know, I, if you met a girl at a party, you could friend her the next day. And like, that was just a really, really cool thing. And to see how it evolved over time, like, it's just really hard to tell. I think maybe crypto has a little bit of an advantage. There's so much scrutiny on it that people have thought and assumed the absolute worst that could possibly happen. I mean, I think one, like there is something lost, right? When there's just not the same cultural moments that there were before. And like, not everybody is watching the same thing every night. And I could see that getting worse with decentralization and people kind of just splintering into smaller and smaller fractions. And maybe that creates a less rich human experience. I'm sure there are going to be a bunch of others, like even just in, again, in crypto, like if you go kind of full self-sovereign and control your keys, you lose your key, you lose all your money and there's like no backup. And I think, you know, if you go full, you know, all the way out on the decentralization scale and everybody is their own island and responsible for themselves, there's a lot of people who don't want to be responsible for themselves, right? Like I buy stuff on Coinbase. Uh, and, and so like 
I, I understand why you wouldn't want to go kind of fully in that direction and, and there need to be guardrails in place. There's going to be a bunch of other chaos and un, unintended consequences. I have no idea what they are. I mean, like, look at AI. I think that's another one that has enough scrutiny on it. There's been a lot of people thinking about how this could go totally wrong, whether we all turn into paper clips and, and all of that. But I think a lot of the good and bad are really, really hard to predict from the current moment. And when you think about the maybe simple or kind of unseen use cases that you're excited about, what are the areas that maybe no one's heard of yet, but you think decentralization could actually like be a completely new evolution or new start to a way to do something? I think this is another one where I'm going to do the cop out where like entrepreneurs are going to build. I I, I think to me, Web3 Social is just like such a clear example of the type of thing that can happen, right? When you people are incentivized, they don't have to spend all of their time figuring out the hard, you know, the, the cold start problem and figuring out how to get people to follow people and build up the network and all of that kind of stuff. Because of that, can focus on kind of experimenting with new use cases that may not get to a billion users. And that is like totally fine because so much of the cost and effort that you need to do to build up the backend, you just don't have to do anymore. So I think there's going to be a big kind of, you know, big era of, of experimentation and it's impossible to predict what those things are, are going to look like. What are the big shifts that you think are going to happen with our relationship to the services we use in a decentralized world? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the crypto one specifically, although I guess it even applies to owning your own solar panels and making that investment and and having that kind of pay off over time. But yeah, I think there's just something really valuable about, and I don't think that we've come up with the right ways to do it to not make it like purely speculative, but there's something really valuable about the things that you participate in, being able to just own part of that, to have these tokens that can both give you ownership, but they can also be programmed to do a bunch of other things. So it's not just like uh, direct equity and you can get more for participating more over time. There's a bunch of fun kind of experiments going on, I think, in the connection between real world assets and uh, and on chain that I think is going to make this just whole design space and opportunity set a lot richer. What happens when you can, and I've gotten roasted on this on podcast before, but a company uh, that I invested in just came out with a really great solution to bringing title on chain, for example. And then what happens when your biggest asset is all of a sudden safe, but liquid, and you can rent the property out more easily and you can take out loans against the property more easily. There's all these things that just aren't liquid or aren't legible right now that will become more liquid and legible. There's going to be a ton of confusion there, right? Like it's hard enough to know what's going on in your stock portfolio, let alone when a lot of the different things that you participate in and own have some sort of value attached to them. But I think as people figure out the interfaces that make all of that easier to understand and track, I think there's just a lot of value in being able to kind of build up equity essentially in things that you participate in over time. I love it. Anything about Getting people to have more ownership is something that I'm truly just like passionate about. And I just want to see more of in the world. Me too. And I, I think that one of the bummers of this, this bear market, I, I wrote a piece called ownership in the American dream. And I think like a lot of regulation is, is focused on limiting the downside. Right. And like, that's the job of it, but just an unbelievable percent of the country doesn't own any equity. People are told to own, you know, their own home and that's the American dream. And like, that's a good thing in some cases, but it's also a math problem. Like maybe that's not the best thing that you could be doing with your money. And I think just more ways to give people 
ownership and the things that they actually understand and care about and want to own versus like you have two options. Don't invest and own anything or like go buy your house and live the American dream is just one of those things that we'll look back on in a hundred years, 50 years, whatever the timeline may be and say like, that was a crazy way that people, you know, could build wealth and, and ownership over time. It's also very hard. Like the, the gap to buy a home is so big that it's really hard and sometimes feels very unachievable um, versus the ability to have equity or ownership in a, you know, a smaller thing that you really care about that doesn't require a huge down payment or something that, you know, I, I actually just don't have the means to afford. Totally. I love this. Thank you so much. We love to kind of go into the the behind the scenes, where you thought about it, how it came up. I really appreciate the conversation. Uh, I really have always been a fan of the Not Boring newsletter. I love everything you write. And so we're going to dig in more on the next conversation with you around more uh, like networks, communication, this Web3 social type stuff. But I encourage everyone to go over to notboring.co. And thanks for listening to Mempool. 